This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. If you only had one car for the rest of your life, you'd take really great care of it. Well, we only have one brain in life. Visit betterhelp.com super and take care of one of the most important parts of you, your mind. Hey, oh wow, off to a great start. Hey brother, what if Dumbledore had never put on the ring that cursed his hand and turned him into a walking dead man? Guys, lately we've been having so much fun exploring a bunch of different what if scenarios within the wizarding world and today is no different. Today we're actually looking at an off page scene that holds massive implications for almost everybody in the wizarding world, starting with the big man himself, Albus Dumbledore. We know of course that basically since Chamber, Dumbledore has been doing everything he can to learn as much about Voldemort's past and try and hunt down horcruxes with varying degrees of success. But the first one he finds completely on his own, might I add, is the gaunt ring found in the remnants of their old home. And the ring holds massive importance because not only it is a long-held family heirloom, but it's one of Voldemort's horcruxes and one of the three Deathly Hallows the Resurrection Stone, which is extremely significant to Dumbledore because as a young man, he sought the Deathly Hallows and most in particular, the Resurrection Stone, which he had hoped to use to see all of his dead family members again. And as we all know, in the main storyline, as an older man, Dumbledore still can't overcome this temptation. He realizes what the ring is, forgets that it's probably cursed with a lot of really terrible magic and puts it on, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to see my family. But that doesn't happen. Turns out the ring is incredibly dangerous and holds a fatal curse that is slowly killing him for the rest of the year. Snape is able to contain the curse mostly in his hand, but also says it's the kind of curse that gets stronger over time and will eventually kill him. And that holds pretty big implications because it suddenly changes the rules of the game pretty considerably, especially as it pertains to who will kill Dumbledore, a job that both Snape and Dumbledore already know has been assigned by Voldemort to Draco. And it's a job that could be perceived as very honorable within the ranks of the Death Eaters, but it comes with a twist, which is that if Draco fails to kill Dumbledore, then Voldemort will kill Draco. And, and in reality, Voldemort doesn't even expect Draco to succeed. It's really just a very long, drawn out death sentence for Draco, which also serves as slow torture for his parents who have to watch for the entire year. But since Dumbledore already knows he's dying anyway now, he can arrange it with Snape so that Snape does it and protects Draco from having his soul marred forever. But what if Dumbledore had been able to show restraint in that moment and never put on the ring? If he's not doomed to die anyway, does he still ask Snape to kill him? Does he just let Draco kill him? And without this arrangement in place, would Snape have ever agreed to the unbreakable vow with Narcissa to begin with? Today, we explore the question, what if Dumbledore never put on the ring? What if Dumbledore never put on the ring? I have to tell you, there are so many branching pathways this could take because it possibly affects so many different decisions. 
Hogwarts. I mean, it is said that the alternate title for Deathly Hallows was Harry Potter and the plan Dumbledore never let him in on because camping solves everything anyway. But Dumbledore, knowing he's a walking dead man, causes many changes to his plan, namely his arranging his own death with Snape, which is something he's doing not just to protect Draco, but to subsequently end the power of the Elder Wand, something he is positive of Voldemort is eventually going to try and seek out to overcome the problem of the twin cores. It's likely this would change the contents of his will as well, because like without the definite knowledge that he's about to die and that Harry, Ron, and Hermione are about to go questing, he might not leave them things. But honestly, we're getting ahead of ourselves. The big first thing to consider is how the unbreakable vow between Snape and Narcissa goes. Typically, this is a deal that Snape immediately agrees to, and the vow is that he will assist Draco in any way he can to carry out the task set for him by Lord Voldemort, which is to kill Dumbledore. And in that moment, if you'll recall, Bellatrix is extremely suspicious of everything to do with Snape and asking him all sorts of questions on what feels like behalf of the audience about every little thing he's done over the past five books. Snape, master spy that he is, unflinchingly answers everything and agrees to the vow on the spot, which finally shuts Bellatrix up. But of course we find out later that this whole arrangement fell beautifully into his lap because what he's agreeing to is to help kill Dumbledore, something he's already agreed to do with Dumbledore. Dumbledore. I mean, how lucky is he here? Thank goodness they didn't ask him to do something else. Like what if they've asked him to vow to never lie to Voldemort no matter what, or to hand over his mom's special secret banana bread recipe. I'll just say it, Snape would have been screwed. He's not handing that banana bread recipe over. It's been propping the whole family business up for years. And I mean, for good reason, it's delightful. But the only reason Dumbledore and Snape arranged Dumbledore's death is because Snape told him he only had a year to live anyway. Something Dumbledore really does take in stride. Well, really, this makes matters much more straightforward. Snape looked utterly perplexed. Dumbledore smiled. I refer to the plan Lord Voldemort is revolving around me. His plan to have the poor Malfoy boy murder me. Are you intending to let him kill you? Certainly not. You must kill me. And I think it's important to point out here that while Dumbledore certainly doesn't fear death, he is not unaware of his own abilities. Because basically what the situation presents to him is, if I must die, let's at least use it to our advantage. But given a situation where his death isn't already inevitable, I'm thinking he probably thinks the world is safer with him in it. Meaning if his fate's not already sealed, he's probably not having Snape kill him so that Draco won't have to. Now to be fair to Dumbledore in this situation, Snape hasn't yet made the unbreakable vow, so probably they'd just be trying to come up with a plan to protect Draco from being killed by Voldemort. But either way, that conversation we just read wouldn't happen at all because there'd be no reason for it to. But so fast forward to when Snape is confronted with making the unbreakable vow, he no longer has an easy out. He is absolutely confronted with a fork in the road. He can either reveal himself right there to be a spy and have to fight off Bellatrix, Narcissa, and Wormtail, who was there as well, or go ahead and commit to the vow anyway and decide later whether or not he's going to kill Dumbledore to save himself or save Dumbledore and sacrifice himself. And honestly, either seems plausible. If he attacks, he likely goes ahead and kills Bellatrix just by element of surprise. Plus Snape is just a really great duelist. So I imagine he's able to finish off Bellatrix 
and escape Narcissa and Peter. That would then leave Voldemort down Bellatrix and down Snape and Dumbledore down his best spy in Voldemort's camp. It does save Snape's life, but it also leaves Draco's life in the balance. More likely though, I think Snape commits to the unbreakable vow anyway for several reasons. First, even though that conversation with Dumbledore wouldn't happen, his sentiment towards Snape's duty is this. He believes the school will soon be in his grasp. Yes. And if it does fall into his grasp, said Dumbledore, almost, it seemed, as an aside, I have your word that you will do all in your power to protect the students of Hogwarts. Snape gave a stiff nod. And I think that would be understood either way. And on top of that, I think Snape would just be okay with dying because for one, after Lily's death, he literally tells Dumbledore, I wish I were dead. And if anything, he's actually mad at Dumbledore when Dumbledore finally explains the full extent of the plan. You know, the plan that even though Snape hates Harry and he totally does, that he still dedicated his entire life to keeping Harry alive and protecting James and Lily's son that Harry is actually gonna have to um, die. It's kind of a real slap in the face when you consider that every moment of Snape's life since Voldemort attacked baby Harry has been uh, almost for nothing. Also probably worth noting that we know Snape has been asking for the Defense Against the Dark Arts job for years, even though he must know about the jinx on the position, right? But since he must be aware of the jinx, it makes me feel like it's possible Snape is hoping the jinx will finish him off because he just sort of hates himself that much. Either way, I think Snape probably does go ahead and continue through with the unbreakable vow, meaning the rest of the school year probably plays out about the way it usually does. Like he still helps Draco as much as he can, which is what Dumbledore tells him to do anyway. Your first priority will be to discover what Draco was up to. A frightened teenage boy is a danger to others as well as to himself. Offer him help and guidance. He ought to accept. He likes you. But so from there, let's go ahead and fast forward right to the big moment. Dumbledore and Harry have just been to the cave and recovered the locket. Draco has gone to the top of the astronomy tower and cast the dark mark. Harry and Dumbledore arrive on the scene. Draco emerges, he disarms Dumbledore, and then Dumbledore starts talking him down and offering him protection, which Draco was on the verge of accepting. Malfoy did not speak. His mouth was open, his wand hand still trembling. Harry thought he saw it drop by a fraction. But then the other Death Eaters show up, followed quickly by Snape who now has a very big decision to make in this moment. To either kill Dumbledore or save Dumbledore. And remember, in this scenario, Dumbledore is not actively dying from the curse on his hand. His hand's not even cursed at all. The big catch though, is that he did still make the unbreakable vow. So if he doesn't kill Dumbledore, that's it. He's broken the vow. Snape will die. Now, if he does kill Dumbledore, well, that's pretty much what happens anyway. And we already just sort of know how the rest of the story plays out. I mean, it's possible that in that scenario, maybe Dumbledore didn't make as many arrangements to help Harry following his death because he wasn't anticipating dying. But either way, I think what's way more likely to happen in this situation is that Snape does choose to sacrifice himself and turns on the Death Eaters in that moment. Which of course then saves Dumbledore and Malfoy, but Snape dies. And this causes a huge cascade of changes to the story. First of all, Draco basically has no choice at all but to now accept the protection offered from Dumbledore. So very likely he and his mom and eventually his dad are 
are just hidden away from Voldemort, which I'm sure you're right there with me. And that's probably a pretty big deal for the Elder Wand, right? Because Draco's still disarmed Dumbledore and Voldemort's still gonna go after it, right? But actually that might not even be an issue because with Snape dead, the Battle of the Seven Potters might not even happen. Because if you'll recall, it is usually Snape who tells the Death Eaters the correct date that they're moving Harry on, on Dumbledore's portraits orders. You will have to give Voldemort the correct date of Harry's departure from his aunt and uncle, said Dumbledore. Not to do so will raise suspicion when Voldemort believes you so well informed. Of course, in this scenario, Voldemort doesn't really believe Snape to be very well informed on anything because Snape is dead. So it's pretty likely the Death Eaters don't have the right day, which like Harry survives the fight anyway, but it probably means that George's ear and Moody and Hedwig all survive. But, and here's the wait for it, the really, really big deal here is that it means Voldemort doesn't have a chance to attack Harry with another wizard's wand to try and overcome the problem of the twin cores. Usually this is when Harry's wand, supercharged with anti voldemort Voldemort power and all of Harry's own courage attacks and shoots the golden flames at Voldemort and destroys Lucius's wand, which is what then prompts Voldemort to begin seeking the Elder Wand. But this whole battle wouldn't happen. So Voldemort would not ever be prompted to go search for the Elder Wand, which I think we can be fairly certain is true since Ollivander tells us. The Dark Lord, said Ollivander in hushed and frightened tones, had always been happy with the wand I made him. You and Phoenix Feather, 13 and a half inches, until he discovered the connection of the twin core. But that's not the only thing that doesn't happen. I mean, Dumbledore surviving book six predictably changes a lot. Like for one, Harry and Dumbledore would just discover that the locket was a fake together. But rather than having to puzzle out who R.A.B. was for months, Dumbledore can probably just figure it out like almost instantly. I mean, he'd be way more familiar with the Black family history and would have actually taught Regulus. As such, they're likely to be able to track down the real locket within like, I don't know, a day? Like it's hard to know exactly when Mundungus loses the locket to Umbridge in the main story, but I don't think it happens until after the ministry falls in the main story because she's using it to bolster her pure blood status, which wasn't a big deal until that point. But since that's a little bit further in the future, it's probably just still at Grimald Place then, either with Creature or with Mundungus, who of course they can just track down super easy because he's in the Order of the Phoenix. And then once they have it, Dumbledore can easily destroy it with Harry and even show him how to do it with the sword. Dumbledore being alive this year probably also means that Harry just goes to school for his seventh year rather than, you know, camping around the countryside and hunting for horcruxes because now Dumbledore can just keep looking for horcruxes. In fact, it's even pretty likely they can figure out the location of the cup without much issue since now they're hiding Narcissa and Lucius who would have probably just effectively flipped sides. And of course they would question them about it and Lucius probably knows since he himself was trusted with the Horcrux. Of course, the issue is that after they steal it from Gringotts, which feels a lot easier when Dumbledore is alive, Voldemort then still knows the jig is up and then he'll still worry about the other Horcruxes and Harry will see the vision and realize that the final Horcrux, the diadem, is at Hogwarts. But Dumbledore being alive also means the Ministry might not fall like it usually does since with him alive, the Order is just, you know, a lot more organized, if not maybe a little well less informed since now 
Snape is dead. Of course, that's kind of hard to say, but if he's alive, there's definitely no The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore written by Rita Skeeter, so his whole history with Grindelwald probably doesn't come up. Dumbledore finally probably tells Harry the full history of Snape and why he always trusted him and how he loved his mother. The really tricky thing about Dumbledore being alive, though, is what do you do about the Horcrux inside of Harry? Usually, he tells Snape that after Voldemort begins protecting Nagini, that's when Snape can tell Harry that Harry needs to die because he too is a Horcrux. So basically, once Voldemort realizes that his Horcruxes are under attack, that's when it's okay to tell Harry. But this time, if Voldemort comes to attack the castle, which of course he will because that's where the diadem is and he wants to come like either move it or add extra protection to it, Harry will still have the protection of the twin cores because his wand won't have broken when they went to Godric's Hollow because they won't have gone to Godric's Hollow because Harry would have just been at school the whole year. The point is, Dumbledore planned for Snape to tell Harry ahead of time that he was a Horcrux and that he needed to die, and specifically that Voldemort was the one who needed to kill Harry. Which, by the way, just as like a technical sidebar, in case you're wondering, the reason Voldemort is the one who has to kill Harry is because when he was reborn, he took Harry's blood into his body, thus preserving Lily's sacrificial protection. We've always sort of affectionately referred to this as a love crux, if you will, but what it means is that Harry is specifically protected by attacks from Voldemort that will allow him to survive. But the other catch is that Harry can't know he'll survive because then he won't survive because it won't be a real sacrifice. Like, Harry can't know he has an out because then it's not a real sacrifice. It's like, nah, don't worry, I turned out a cheat code. Does that make sense? Like, I'm asking for real because it's not not confusing. Not entirely how unlike dissimilar it isn't from double negatives. A sentence I'm not even sure has the intended meaning I wanted it to not have. Anyway, the point is, at some point, Dumbledore would tell Harry that he was a Horcrux and needed to die. And regardless of the source, we know what Harry's reaction is. He's gonna do it. He's still gonna walk into the woods ready to die. I could even see the situation unfolding as follows. Can you come with me, sir? Unfortunately, Harry, I cannot. However, you will not be alone. And then he hands Harry the resurrection stone. Guys, it's the season of gifting, the season of giving, and thereby, by the transit of property, the season of deal hunting. And today's sponsor, Mint Mobile, saves you from having to hunt around for the best wireless plan. Because right now, if you switch to Mint Mobile and buy any three-month plan, you get an additional three months for free. What's cool is that Mint Mobile is the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, which saves you that terrible hassle of having to go down to the physical store, wait in a long line, or even worse, get up on that screen that's like, you'll be up in like 25 minutes. Instead, Mint Mobile lets you activate your plans from home, starting at just $15 a month. Seriously, you could be just saving so much with this holiday plan. Like not only are their plans cheaper than anyone else out there, but the fact that you get an extra three months free is just incredible. It's like an awesome way to start out the new year under budget, which means you can invest that more in your math budget. So you know what the transit of property actually does. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. I got it, I know. We've been using Mint Mobile on our office and personal phones for over a year now and never been let down by their service. So not only has it cut out ridiculous phone bills from our lives, but it's just made things way simple. And no, you don't even need to get a new phone. You can use your existing phone and effortlessly and easily switch over to Mint Mobile using their eSIM services. But if you do want a new device, and for a limited time, you can actually get six months of free service when you switch over to select devices and plan packages. Guys, seriously, don't wait on this one for a limited 
time, buy a three-month package with Mint Mobile and get an additional three months free. Head over to mintmobile.com super. That's mintmobile.com super. Slash your wireless bills down to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com super. Link in the description down below. The real question though is, would Dumbledore be able to predict how Harry's wand would react to Voldemort casting a spell at him. Because Dumbledore himself says what happens was truly unique in that Voldemort and Harry are more magically entwined and interconnected than any two wizards in the history of ever. What you must understand, Harry, is that you and Lord Voldemort have journeyed together into realms of magic hitherto unknown and untested. But here is what I think happened, and it is unprecedented, and no wand maker could, I think, ever have predicted it or explained it to Voldemort. So yes, after the fact, Dumbledore is able to sort of deduce out what happened, but ahead of time, I don't think even he could have predicted the golden flames. If he could, he also could have advised Harry to maybe just not bring his wand with him at all, or at least not be holding it when Voldemort attacks him. But if Harry goes into the woods and is even holding his wand before the big moment, here's how it goes down. <laughs> But Voldemort can't pull off the whole spell before... This is exactly what happens during the Battle of the Seven Potters as it is. Voldemort tries to attack and kill Harry, but Harry's wand does not have any of it and regurgitates all of Voldemort's own power right back in his noseless face, which completely destroys Lucius's wand and sends Voldemort hurtling down the path towards the Elder Wand. This time though, it's gonna be a little too late for that, especially since, you know, Dumbledore is still alive and still has the Elder Wand. But also instead of hurtling through the air like 100 miles an hour, both characters are now planning planted firmly on the ground for this unique and unexpected effect to take place. Which, if you'll recall, is basically the exact situation Harry and Voldemort find themselves in in the graveyard. Both parties cast a spell, and then out of nowhere, they're having a whole different battle than they intended that Harry, of course, eventually wins. This time, it's not a battle of the twin cores, though. Harry's wand is like supercharged against Voldemort and whatever, you know, poor stick of wood he's using. And with any amount of focus or control, I imagine Harry is easily able to overpower Voldemort and not just destroy the wand he's holding, but also capture him in like a full-on inferno that ultimately destroys his physical body. Which like, yay, Harry wins, right? But no, because as ever, Harry and Nagini are both still alive in this situation. So no, Voldemort doesn't full on die, he survives. Kind of, it would be pretty much exactly like the night he attacked baby Harry. He gets anchored to the mortal world by his remaining Horcruxes and just has to survive in that sort of vague Voldemist state. But with no body, I have to imagine whatever protective spell he had cast around Nagini suddenly breaks. And Nagini, probably really mad, and she herself attacks Harry. But this is a bad move on her part because Nagini, just like the Voldemort that just attacked Harry, has a piece of Voldemort's soul inside of her. And so Harry's wand does the exact same thing and catches her on fire too. I'll tell you what, in our what-if scenarios, there's a lot of fire. I'm just saying, if you want to show art of Harry like lighting Voldemort on fire, 
desire that, I would I would accept it. You can send them here. And I think it's worth pointing out because I can see some people raising their hands that this attack by Nagini is specifically different from when Harry usually encounters her at Godric's Hollow. Because in that situation, Nagini has specifically been instructed to simply hold Harry there. So she's not ever attacking to kill. But in this scenario, she would be. But so in one fell swoop, Harry would have walked into the woods, seemingly alone, and defeated Voldemort's physical body and destroyed another Horcrux in front of all of the remaining Death Eaters. And I have to imagine, for their part, they are all absolutely terrified and awestruck by the extreme display of power they have just witnessed, and they all just retreat. And while that seems like a big victory, Harry still finds himself in a kind of unfortunate situation because the piece of Voldemort's soul inside of himself has still survived the night and thus is still anchoring the Voldemist, if you will, to this world. And this is the terrible information Harry is going to have to return to Dumbledore with, that Voldemort is powerless once more and yet lives on through Harry. And here is where we get into a very gray area of magic. Could the Voldemist have survived if all of the other Horcruxes had been destroyed. In the main story, this never really gets explored. Dumbledore is never really actively hunting the Horcruxes in a meaningful way until after Voldemort has his body back. And we of course know that his body can still survive even if the other Horcruxes are destroyed. <laughs> I mean, that is basically the plot of the normal story anyway. But if say Dumbledore had figured out about the Horcruxes way sooner and had managed to hunt down and destroy all of them before Voldemort had gotten his body back? Would Voldemort Prime, like his mist vapor form, have vanished as well? I actually think, yes, it would have. The way I've always understood it is that the bit of Voldemort's soul that makes up the sort of formless being he is during the first four books is always trying to die, but it can't because it is effectively anchored to the mortal realm by the Horcruxes, which are preventing it from passing through the veil. But I think without any of the anchors in place, it actually could pass. Harry, unfortunately, is never able to take advantage of this because Voldemort gets his body back too soon. Of course, even if Dumbledore had figured it out way earlier and had destroyed all the other Horcruxes, he'd still face the obvious problem that Harry himself is a Horcrux, meaning he'd have to kill Harry to ultimately finish off Voldemort. Which is the exact situation we find ourselves in now, isn't it? All that anchors the mist is Harry. So what is Dumbledore to do? Well, as usual, he has a plan. He offers Harry the option to allow Dumbledore to kill him. Harry, you have done more than anyone ever could, far beyond what I ever could have expected of you, and proven time and time again that you are a far greater man than I. And so I feel I cannot ask anything more of you. If you die a natural death, Voldemort will be defeated for good. However, as the prophecy states, while he survives, you can never really live. It will always be possible for him to return yet again, as long as you continue on. And so I offer you this, and I will only offer it once. If you wish, I can do it. I can send you on. 
Tears are obviously falling from Dumbledore's eyes. Harry has done everything and more. He did what Dumbledore could not, and yet there was one final decision to be made. A decision he couldn't make for Harry. A decision Harry has to make for himself. Would that work, sir? Would Voldemort really be gone for good? I believe so, Harry. Yes, without an anchor for his soul, it too would simply cease to be. And yet, I cannot truly ask it of you. To deny you the life you have fought your whole life to live. You've given everything to live. The life Voldemort stole from you when you were just a baby. But what about the prophecy? Isn't one of us supposed to finish off the other? Yes, Harry. And while it may be my hand, it would ultimately be your decision that finishes off Voldemort. In some ways, Harry had known his whole life would come to this. Of course it did. There was no other way. He couldn't leave it to chance. It must be done. He thinks of Ginny, the life he could have had with her, of Ron and Hermione, but then also realizes what terrible danger he'd be putting them in for the rest of his life. And it's that final thought that makes him resolute. He looks at Dumbledore. The last enemy that shall be defeated is death. And then, if you don't mind, I'm going to steal a quick passage from Goblet of Fire here. For a fleeting instant, Harry thought he saw a gleam of something like triumph in Dumbledore's eyes. But next second, Harry was sure he had imagined it. For when Dumbledore had returned to his seat behind the desk, he looked as old and weary as Harry had ever seen him. Dumbledore raises his wand. Fox lets out a low, quavering note. And Dumbledore whispers, Avada Kedavra. But what happens next? I'm really not actually sure. The gleam on Dumbledore's face is his hope that his plan is going to work. Because what he has arranged is a situation in which Harry might be able to effectively cast sacrificial love on himself. Much like Lily, Harry doesn't need to die. He is given the option to live and chooses to die anyway. And it's certainly not to save himself or even necessarily to defeat Voldemort, but it's much more in the name of simply protecting everyone else. So my question for you guys here is, do you think Harry would truly die in this situation? Or would he meet, let's say, I don't know, his parents at King's Cross and be given the option to come back? I genuinely don't know, but I kind of love a situation where like he wakes up and meets his mom at the train station and she encourages him to live the life she always wanted for him. Sorry, that was really emotional there at the end. But guys, as always, thanks so much for watching today's video. Don't forget to leave a like on it if you haven't already, and subscribe so you don't miss any What If Harry Potter action from us. If you want to see our big super cut of What If Harry Potter Was in Slytherin, we've just uploaded it into a big two-part series here. You can watch uh, Philosopher's Stone through Goblet of Fire right here, Order of the Phoenix through Deathly Hallows right here. But otherwise, Ben, until next time, I will see you in another life, brother.